This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleedham and I'm a physician and clinical scientist in the Division of Respiratory Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Diego Mazzotti, who's the first author of a recent article entitled Symptom Subtypes of Obstructive Sleep Apnea Predict Incidence of Cardiovascular Outcomes. Dr. Mazzotti is a research associate at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Also joining us is Dr. Henry Yagi who wrote an accompanying editorial. Dr. Yagi is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Yale University School of Medicine and Director of the Yale Program in Sleep Medicine. Uh, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank um, you, absolutely. Yeah, great for doing this. Um, so before we start to discuss the article, um, Henry, I wonder whether you could, I could ask you, why is it important to phenotype patients with obstructive sleep apnea? That is, that's a great question. Um, uh, obstructive sleep apnea, uh, I think as many of the listeners know, has been linked to many of the leading causes of morbidity and mortality. Uh, cardiovascular disease, stroke, congestive heart failure, cognitive dysfunction, uh, and diabetes. And importantly, what we've come to understand about sleep apnea is that um, there is significant heterogeneity within this disorder, both in terms of uh, symptom uh, presentation, as was the focus of the article we'll be discussing today, uh, some of the physiologic traits that have been linked to pathogenesis, um, the polysomnographic variables, the expression polysomnographically of the disease, uh, and certainly risk for some of the adverse health outcomes have been associated with sleep apnea. But despite this heterogeneity, uh, we continue to use this sort of one-size-fits-all approach in, in terms of our metrics, our diagnostic and uh, severity metrics of sleep apnea, a single metric called the apnea hypopnea index, which is a simple frequency count of, of the, uh, the number of respiratory events uh, during sleep in, among these patients. And the consequences of this is that uh, I, this has led to sort of a trial and error approach to treating our patients. I think um, suboptimal treatment adherence, uh, uh, inefficient use of the healthcare system. And, and I think as we'll be talking about, some has contributed to uh, some of the negative randomized controlled trials that have occurred in, in our field. And really an alternative approach is, is to leverage this heterogeneity uh, by phenotyping. And a phenotype is, is a, a category of patient with sleep apnea that is distinguished from other categories of patients by either a single or a combination of disease features that are related to clinically meaningful um, uh, attributes like symptoms, response to therapy, health outcomes, and quality of life. And, and this, this approach to phenotyping, I think, really allows for more personalized approaches uh, to treatment. Uh, I think it will lead to better understanding of mechanisms 
mechanisms um, uh, will allow us to better inform our patients regarding prognosis and, and, and hopefully uh, more efficiently design randomized controlled trials to enroll patients who are really at highest risk for health outcomes. So we can, just to follow up on that, we can phenotype based on symptoms. What are the other ways we can phenotype? So there, there are a number of different approaches to, uh, to phenotyping. There's, there's sort of two broad categories of methodologic approaches. One is what's known as sort of a supervised uh, a learning approach, uh, which typically involves pre-specified hypotheses, uh, focuses usually on single features, and uses sort of traditional uh, regression analytic uh, techniques. And some examples of this have been REM sleep, predominant sleep apnea, the hypoxic burden associated with this disorder as, a, as a, another phenotype, the event length, all of which have been linked to higher rates of cardiovascular morbidity and mortality. Another approach that's been used in phenotyping is, is, is are called unsupervised learning approaches. And this really focuses on emergent patterns in the data, uh, focuses more on multiple features rather than single features, tends to use cluster analytic techniques or machine learning techniques. And some examples, some very good examples are the, the study uh, uh, by Dr. Mazzotti and, and colleagues today. And there've been some studies focusing, uh, applying the sort of unsupervised technique to polysomnographic variables. But, but we can, in terms of uh, other ways to phenotype, we can not just do this by symptoms, we can do this by the polysomnographic variables. We can phenotype based on uh, biomarkers linked to oxidative stress or inflammation, uh, thought to be on the causal pathway between sleep apnea and cardiovascular risk. We can phenotype based on some of the associated medical comorbidities linked to sleep apnea. And I think there's also some emerging work uh, uh, focusing on phenotyping based on the etiologic, physiologic traits of sleep apnea, such as the, the critical closing pressure of the airway, the ventilatory control uh, or loop gain in sleep apnea, the, the arousal threshold, which is the, the level of ventilatory drive in which uh, a patient awakens from sleep apnea and sort of the responsiveness of the muscles uh, of the upper airway. So these are all approaches to, uh, to phenotyping among patients with sleep apnea. So that's very helpful, thanks. Um, uh, now Diego, let, let's move to the study and everything like that. What were, your, what were the objectives of your study? Yeah, so I think one of the goals of the study, we actually had two main goals, right? The first one was actually to, to move a step forward into what Dr. Yagi was just referring us to dissecting the heterogeneity of sleep apnea. And then we decided to tackle this problem looking at the symptom patterns of uh, patients with sleep apnea. So the first, the first goal was actually to confirm that those symptom subtypes of, of sleep apnea, they, they actually exist in fact, because uh, th there were like some previous evidence uh, about the existence of, of those subtypes is mostly from clinical populations. And then we decided to look into the sleep our health study, which is a very famous study linking um, uh, cardiovascular, linking obstructive sleep apnea and cardiovascular disease. Uh, and it was like done in the nineties. And, and, and then 
we have this data available for so long. So then we decided to confirm that uh, subtypes based on symptoms would also be detected in the Zebra Health Study. So the second goal, after we were able to confirm that those subtypes actually exist, uh, was to see if they are associated with any adverse cardiovascular outcomes, such as uh, prevalent disorders, and then we look at different uh, cardiovascular diseases in this case, and also incident events of cardiovascular disease. So we looked at different uh, cross-sectional analysis in a, in a prevalent setting to see if symptom subtypes were associated with prevalent disease, and also if symptom subtypes could predict uh, the incidence of future cardiovascular events. And how did you identify the different symptom subtypes? So we used a questionnaire uh, that was uh, designed. So the questionnaire itself, it's not any validated questionnaire, but it was more a combination of different symptoms that uh, usually patients with sleep apnea refer to. So this questionnaire, the questionnaire that we use in this particular study was composed of 14 questions plus the Epworth sleepiness score, which is a, a widely used instrument to identify subjective sleepiness in obstructive sleep apnea patients. Uh, but the way that we, we looked at the data was a little different from what other studies have done because usually studies, they, they look at this, the Epworth sleepiness score and then they set up like a cutoff uh, usually like greater than 10 or greater than 11, and then they define patients there as being excessively sleepy just based on this cutoff. So what we did is we actually looked at individual questions of the Epworth sleepiness score, in addition to another different dimensions of other sleep-related symptoms, and those include like, uh, you know, if the patient takes naps or if the patients have difficulty falling asleep or uh, wake up too early if it, if the patient snores. So so those different responses to the questionnaires, we then took an unsupervised approach as previously uh, introduced by Dr. Yagi to identify patterns in those responses. So we would expect that patients that report similar types of symptoms in, in a similar prevalence, they, they might belong to the same subtype. And that, that was the original idea in the first studies showing uh, the existence of those subtypes, and then we were able to validate that in this study. Now, you, you looked at patients in the sleep um, heart health study. Um, it, it, as you mentioned, that's a famous study that's been around for some time. Uh, for those listeners unfamiliar with that, can you just briefly describe it? Yes, absolutely. So the sleep heart health study, uh, it was uh, a multicentric, it is a multicentric perspective community-based cohort of individuals, uh, older adults and older adults, so mostly 40, greater than 40 years old. And they were enrolled in the study uh, that aimed to identify the relationship between sleep apnea and uh, cardiovascular diseases. And they were enrolled based on other ongoing studies for cardiovascular diseases that were happening at the time. So the patients, they were invited for a home sleep study with a measurement of the EEG so that you could actually also uh, score sleep and have an idea of how much of the patients were actually sleeping. And then several uh, cardiovascular events were adjudicated in the following uh, you know, nine to 13 years with an average follow-up of about 11 years. 
So what were the primary findings of your study? So the, the first finding relates to the first goal, which was we confirmed the existence of those subtypes in a population, in, the, in this population community-based cohort from the Zipar Health Study. So we were able to confirm that they, they seem to be like a very consistent uh, subtyping of, of patients of, of sleep apnea that is just based on symptoms. And then we found mostly that the excessively sleepy subtype which is one of the four subtypes that we identified here. They were associated with prevalent heart failure, and they were also associated with incident cardiovascular disease. And that association was actually controlled for many different uh, common cardiovascular risk factors that usually are associated with the disease. So after adjusting for all those uh, common cardiovascular risk factors, we still were able to see an independent association between the excessively sleepy subtype and uh, incidence of cardiovascular disease. So how did the subgroup in this study compare with the previous cohorts? Uh, I think you've studied out of your center, such as uh, the Icelandic sleep apnea cohort, so in, in, in different countries. Right, so the, the Icelandic study, so the, the Isaac study, uh, it was the first one where the subtypes were uh, actually identified. So the initial study, they found three subtypes, right? So the excessively sleepy, which is the one that we mostly described in the current study, uh, the disturbed sleep subtype, which is mostly the patient with obstructive sleep apnea that also tend to have insomnia complaints. And then the minimally symptomatic group, which is just those patients that they, they don't have any symptoms that are reporting. So it, it is, it is, they just don't have as a high of a prevalence of those symptoms compared to the other groups. So in the sleeper health study, we actually identify the fourth subtype and we call the subtype moderately sleepy because uh, the individuals in this group, they didn't have a, a, such a higher prevalence of uh, sleepy related questions compared to the excessively sleepy group, but they, they could not be considered minimally symptomatic, right? So in this unsupervised analysis, we can actually derive a score to, to, that tell us what is the most appropriate number of groups or clusters that you can find. And then in this study, we had four. So uh, we believe that this was found, this Lipar Health study, because this, uh, sample compared to the Icelandic study is a community-based sample versus a clinical-based sample. So we would expect that patients going to the clinic, they will already have some sort of symptom that seems, seems to increase their burden to seek attention. So in, in the other, on the other hand, the CPAR health study, because that was based on the community, uh, it's possible that patients with a, a decreased burden or symptoms are also present, and those could be the moderately sleepy sub subtype. So can you further characterize this excessively sleepy uh, subtype, the, the, the more prone in terms of cardiovascular disease? Yes, absolutely. So when we compare the symptoms, uh, each one of the individual symptoms across the groups, we found that the excessively sleepy subtype, they had the highest airport sleepness score, as we would expect. They also had the highest proportion of 
positive responses for not feeling rested during the day and feeling physically tired during the day, highest prevalence of report, reported drowsy driving. And these this subjects, they are seem to be the, what we see as the stereotypical sleep apnea patients. But in, in this particular case, they have a very, very severe sleepiness. But please note that the way that we characterized this was not only based on the sleep, of sleepiness score. So there might be something else going on that uh, when looking at only at the, the Epworth, it's you were diluting some of the effects. So that that's that's why you cannot you cannot uh, characterize these patients only based on the Epworth. Now, would you like to speculate why the excessively sleepy patients are more prone uh, to adverse cardiovascular outcomes? Yeah. So we we have many hypotheses, but I think the one that would make more sense, and that's the first one that we are following up right now, is uh, it's possible that uh, the excessively sleepiness that we are seeing in those patients might reflect some sort of marker that is that goes into casual into, into the casual pathway of sleep apnea. For so for example, inflammation. So we believe that the patients with uh, ex the excessively sleepy subtype they are probably more advanced into some of the damage caused by increased inflammation, which is a, a known aspect in increasing uh, the cardiovascular disease. So we believe, and that's what we're trying to do next, is to fully characterize the inflammatory architecture, blood inflammatory architecture into those patients and, and, and try to confirm that hypothesis. So Henry, if I can bring you back into this, what, what are the strengths of this study? So, I, you know, I think these symptom uh, subtypes that Dr. Mazzotti has described really now have uh, consistently been validated in a number of different clinical and, and population-based studies. Uh, uh, you spoke about this being done in uh, sleep heart health, uh, which, which allowed for a very large sample size and uh, long-term follow-up for uh, not just intermediate measures of cardiovascular outcomes, but actual cardiovascular uh, events. And I think importantly, they, they demonstrated this sort of increased cardiovascular association um, in, in comparing this excessively sleepy phenotype, uh, symptom phenotype, uh, both compared to patients without sleep disordered breathing, but also uh, uh, among patients with sleep disordered breathing. So a similar uh, severity of sleep apnea. Um, uh, 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 and, and, and I think this really suggests that this excessive sleepy uh, symptom phenotype may be a surrogate marker for uh, underlying cardiovascular uh, risk for underlying cardiovascular outcomes uh, conferred by sleep apnea. Diego, are there any limitations to your study? Yes. So I think the major limitation is that uh, it, it, it pertains to, to how we characterize the subtypes in only in moderate to severe OSA patients, which is defined just by the index that Dr. Yagi brought in the beginning, which is, seems to be merely arbitrary, the AHI, the apnea hypopnea index. So we only looked at moderate to severe OSA patients 
and which means that they had an AHI greater than or equal than 15. So when we look at uh, patients with like a, a lower or less severe OSA based on that index, it is unclear if uh, what, what is the interaction between the AHI or other measures of OSA severity and the symptoms in predicting uh, cardiovascular risk. So we, we cannot say that our findings generalize to less severe uh, obstructive sleep apnea patients. And I think that another limitation of the study that pertains to how the sleeper health study was designed is that because we are only looking at adults and older adults, uh, it's unlikely that we, we can generalize the results for younger people. So I, I guess we can, we, we can, we are safe about reporting those results, individuals greater than 40 or between 40 and 70 years old, which was when we, we found, where we found the, the population of the ZFR hub study to be. So I think more studies understanding uh, the role of those symptom subtypes in other age ranges outside of that are, it's, it are also needed. So, so Henry, what's the relevance of these findings to previous studies and any future clinical trials uh, of treatment of patients with obstructive sleep apnea? Yeah, I think this is a really a critical uh, point to this study. And in, in many ways, we are in, in the infancy of doing longer-term randomized controlled trials in sleep apnea. And there, there are some real challenges to doing long-term randomized controlled trials uh, involving CPAP therapy, our main medical treatment for sleep apnea. So there are logistical challenges uh, in, in terms of adherence and increasing the effective duration of CPAP uh, use among patients with sleep apnea. Uh, as we've been discussing, there's significant heterogeneity within sleep apnea. There are existing pharmacologic therapies uh, for some of the causal pathways, we believe, uh, whereby sleep apnea confers heightened risk. Um, uh, I believe that there are there is there is equipoise about the question of uh, particularly among uh, this uh, uh, sleepy patients uh, whether uh, CPAP therapy helps to reduce cardiovascular uh, uh, risk in, in terms of doing a randomized. Uh, controlled trial with CPAP, but there are real safety and ethical issues in, in designing those trials. And in terms of taking a patient that we diagnosed with sleep apnea and randomizing them to either sham CPAP therapy or no therapy over the longer terms, particularly in terms of the risk of motor vehicle accidents and depression, uh, et cetera. And I think an, an important uh, point is that some of the, the, the three or four um, randomized controlled trials that have been published to date in our field, the RICADSA trial, which focused on uh, risk of uh, uh, myocardial infarction, the large SAVE trial, which was uh, a secondary uh, uh, prevention study, again, uh, among patients with MI and stroke. And there was a, a larger Spanish uh, European study that used a a uh, composite cardiovascular uh, endpoint. All of these trials really focused on non-sleepy patients, so therefore excluded the patients that uh, Dr. Mazzotti and his colleagues uh, 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 observed to be at the highest 
risk for cardiovascular endpoints. And so this sort of limits these trials' ability to detect beneficial treatment effects um, uh, and, and may in part be while some of these trials have observed uh, negative results. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to speak to that. I mean, I, we were involved in one of those studies, the Mosaic study, and, and you know, we, you, you restricted the patients to non-sleepy because those are the ones you only felt could be ethically uh, recruited. But, uh, uh, I mean, moving forward, if we're going to study um, the excessively sleepy patients, uh, do you have possible strategies uh, to safely and ethically recruit these patients? You know, I think uh, these types of strategies and method, you know, overcoming some of these methodologic challenges are, are really greatly needed. Uh, and certainly some strategies might involve, you know, much more enhanced safety monitoring uh, among these patients and, and strategies that might mitigate against drowsy driving, uh, using surrogate driving or, or napping or, or perhaps therapies that, you know, uh, uh, treat the symptom of, of sleepiness without treating uh, the, the, the sleep apnea per se. Uh, there are certainly some statistical uh, uh, matching techniques that, that, that uh, are used both in observational studies that look at treatment efficacy, as well as some randomized controlled trials, uh, propensity score matching. But, uh, but this, is, uh, this is a methodologic challenge for the field and one that I think we need to, to really focus in on and how we can safely and, and ethically uh, conduct such trials because uh, the population attributable risk is quite high. And I think, uh, I think we really need to, uh, to understand uh, uh, whether this therapy helps to uh, uh, reduce um, uh, the recurrent vascular events uh, uh, and uh, in order to, uh, uh, to justify uh, larger uh, screening efforts. So you mentioned earlier on the, the apnea hypopnea index that we all tend to focus on. And certainly where I work, it's used by health funders and even the motor vehicle branch in terms of who can drive. Uh, do you have any additional comments about the apnea hypopnea index and what, what we should really be focusing on? Yeah, I think certainly this, uh, this study brings up this question again. And, and uh, I, I think many of us in the field believe that these sort of common clinical cutoffs uh, for threshold values of the apnea hypopnea index really may not be our best predictor of sleep apnea related morbidity and mortality. And I think it's absolutely worth questioning whether the uh, apnea hypopnea index should be our both our primary diagnostic and, and uh, prognostic uh, criterion uh, in, in our, our care for these patients and, and following them forward. And I think importantly, um, various health outcomes uh, may be related to sleep apnea through distinct pathophysiologic uh, pathways that may differentially reflect responses to uh, hypoxia versus arousal and sympathetic activation or the sleep fragmentation associated with, with sleep apnea or the type of respiratory events or the various biomarkers that we can follow uh, among these patients. And I think an important question is, should we be using one 
two or multiple of these uh, uh, physiologic stressors that we observed uh, in, in, in sleep testing among these patients uh, to follow patients with sleep apnea. And I sort of, I sort of think of the, uh, the, uh, an analogy would be to something like the Goldman criteria, which uh, used to be uh, a way that we would uh, predict post-operative risk among patients in terms of their cardiovascular risk, which was a composite in index that really integrated a number of different domains of variable. And I could see something analogous to that in our field, where we sort of bring in not just a single metric, but multiple metrics in order to, to better risk stratify patients. Thank you. Uh, so as we draw this to a close, uh, Diego, do you have any final points you'd like to emphasize about the study? Yeah, so one of the points actually I want to reinforce what Dr. Yagi just said, because I believe that now we, we are at a time where we collect so much information in a sleep study. And even, even though we are now, you know, moving to like simpler ways of detecting sleep apnea, maybe you don't necessarily need a, a, a in-lab sleep study, only a home sleep test or, you know, it, other ways of just like trying to identify patients using wearable technologies. But regardless of the method, we, we do collect and now we have the ability to process this data, this physiological data that is being continuously collected. So I, I believe that, yes, we should move forward to finding some sort of composite index. Uh, I think there are some challenges why that, and that's why this is not, has been done yet because, you know, there, there are differences in like standardization of the data collection or the definition of the events and all, all those definitions, they, they you know, initially, they, they were based in some sort of like uh, arbitrary uh, parameters. And now that the science is following behind, now we have much more uh, evidence to show that we can use the signals in a combined way. And this would be much more predictive than just single metrics such as the AHI. So I believe that now we are at a point where we, we are very close to, to do this. And then more specifically towards this particular study, um, I think that one, one of the, the next uh, steps would be to come up with a very simple and efficient tool to at least detect the symptoms of types of OSA into the clinic. And that's a, uh, some ongoing work that we are doing right here. And we are trying to come up with a, a simple questionnaire that involves uh, just four or five questions that could accurately predict um, it, the sub subtype of obstructive sleep apnea. So then you, you don't necessarily have to have like a full and, and sometimes time consuming questionnaire to identify these people. So that will be subtyping into one domain, but I do believe that we need to subtype into different domains including the physiological domains, the treatment response domains. And I think Dr. Yagi laid out that to us very, very great. Henry, any final comments? Uh, just a couple of the, um, you know, I think another uh, thing that this study points out in, in terms of the, the methodology they took is, is, is in part the limitation of the Epworth sleepiness scale. And, and I think to get at this, uh, 
this uh, extremely sleepy phenotype. It wasn't simply based on that metric, but you know, some more detailed questions about uh, uh, that, that symptomatology, the frequency, et cetera. Um, I really think future work in, in this domain in terms of uh, phenotyping in general, I, I think what we really need to focus on now, is, as this study did, is linking phenotypes to clinically relevant uh, uh, outcomes. And uh, I think there's a real uh, uh, opportunity here, particularly with some of the uh, physiologic traits that we're starting to appreciate. Uh, for instance, some of the work that uh, is uh, Dr. Wellman's group uh, is doing um, uh, in, in, in developing more personalized treatment approaches. So instead of a CPAP for all uh, initial approach to sleep apnea, really personalizing therapy. So someone, for example, with a small collapsible airway may benefit more from weight reduction, positional therapy, surgical approaches, uh, Patients who have this sort of high loop gain phenotype may actually do quite well with either supplemental oxygen therapy or medical therapy such as acetazolamide. Um, the, the newer therapy that we have in the field, the uh, upper airway neurostimulation, may be ideal for patients who have this poor muscle responsiveness phenotype. And, and the low arousal threshold patients may actually benefit from sedative hypnotic therapy in terms of improving adherence and, and, and uh, um, uh, reducing symptoms. Um, I think that this study also points out that we need to have a much better understanding of sort of the physiologic and perhaps genetic basis for the various uh, symptom subtypes. And, and I think really more work needs to be done in the domain of of uh, linking uh, the sleep apnea to um, bio biomarkers of risk that may help us better uh, uh, predict outcomes for patients. So the excellent example of this uh, by Sanchez de la Torre and, and, and colleagues where they looked at micro RNA signatures and were able actually to predict responsiveness uh, of CPAP therapy in terms of uh, 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 most effectively uh, reducing blood pressure. So I think there's some real opportunities in our field uh, to, to embrace this uh, more personalized and precision uh, sleep medicine approaches to, to benefit patients and, and, uh, and, and move the field forward. So that was great. So uh, in concluding, I, I'd like to, to thank you both for doing this. Uh, to the listener, to read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. Uh, to listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, uh, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. And you can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. Um, thanks for listening to this and, and have a great day. Thank you.